The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. What I want to do uh, before we get, uh, as we get started, is we are in the book of Galatians chapter 5. If you have a Bible, certainly uh, turn there. Um, we're going to be reading primarily out of the middle portion of Galatians 5, but... I'm going to explain this as we move through the passage. I'm going to start out by reading from um, Mark chapter 12 for us. Um, This is a moment in Jesus' ministry and life where uh, he is uh, running up head first into the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they are asking him serious, serious questions. And this is a most, probably one of the more famous engagements between Jesus and the Pharisees because this is where he talks about what's the greatest commandment. So I'm going to read this passage, and I'm going to read our Galatians passage, and I promise we'll see how they connect. So Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read from verse 28 to 34, and then we'll jump over to Galatians and read there. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most? Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he, that he is one and there is no one besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And then over to Galatians chapter 5, verses 7 to 15. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other. He who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at this stuff together. Father, as we uh, unpack these words and consider the greatest commandment and what that means for our life in Jesus, I pray that you would give us, give us your spirit right now and that we would experience your power in a deep and hidden part of ourselves and so fulfill the law of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I am uh, reminded that we are in spring because in our yard we have, I think, three apple trees. Maybe one of them is crab apple. But as you guys are well aware, we have, uh, as we here in New Hampshire, we've got peach trees and apple trees. And some of us here later in the spring are looking forward to going up to Carter Hill up in Concord and picking blueberries or picking peaches or picking apples and enjoying the fruit that these trees, trees produce. And here we are at the beginning of that time of the year where those things are beginning to start their work, right? They are starting to produce fruit that we will ultimately enjoy, but there's no fruit yet. There is a, there's a hidden life to this fruit that ultimately gets produced, this fruit that we enjoy later in the year. 
however you enjoy it, there's a hidden life that starts now, right? You have all the bees that come along and they pollinate the flowers and they move the pollen around and all that stuff. Uh, has, has anybody been a beekeeper? My uncle's a beekeeper. It's crazy how, how much goes into bees pollinating trees. But then you also have, right, the soil and the rain and, like, is the soil good? Does it have all the nutrients in it or is it bad and is it going to be poisoning the tree? And then you have, obviously, diseases that can get inside trees and ultimately destroy them. And then you have, obviously, we've been in a, have we been in a drought for a while? I feel like we've, the last couple of weeks have been more water than normal, but I think technically New Hampshire is still in a drought. So you have the, just the basics of like sky, uh, sky, sun, water, ground, but all of those things are all circulating and going around and doing their thing in a hidden way so that ultimately we go up to Carter Hill and pluck a peach off and enjoy the peach. There's a great hidden life that nobody sees, but ultimately leads to fruit. See, we're, here we are in Galatians. We've been working through all this stuff about how does it, what does it mean for grace to mark our lives? What does it mean for us to be people who are defined by Jesus and not by some surgical procedure or keeping the Mosaic law or doing all these things? There's been all these battles going back and forth in the passage. And then here we are in Galatians 5, and we're running right up into these next few passages that are probably some of the most famous passages in Galatians. Right next week, uh, Dave Hamilton is going to preach for us on the desires of the flesh versus the desires of the spirit. And then after that, Peter's going to do two messages for us on the fruit of the spirit. And those passages don't just kind of come out of nowhere, kind of like, let's just talk about them because, hey, it's cool to talk about the spirit. And Paul's thinking they come from somewhere. There's a whole arc, there's a whole way in which he's developing the book of Galatians so that we arrive at these amazing passages about the fruit of the spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, right? Every, you know what I'm talking about? Those passages, these are fruits that get plucked off a tree to be enjoyed. But they come from somewhere. They come from a hidden life, a life that is largely unseen by most people. A life that's largely hidden at the deep inner part of who we are. A life that is under the surface, so to speak, that's hidden inside the sap of the tree, of you that produces, that leads to these fruits that ultimately get produced by the Spirit. So that's what we're looking at here in this passage. There is a, there's a hidden life that Paul is alluding to or talking about and kind of working his way around. And I want to draw your attention to why I just read Mark 12, because I think that leads to helping us understand where Paul lands in this passage. In Mark 12, You'll notice that Jesus breaks the, 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 the obeying the Lord and knowing the Lord is basically love the Lord and love your neighbor as yourself, right? He's got these two commands, love the Lord, love your neighbor as yourself. And then here, let's go back to the beginning of Galatians. Can we go back? Can we throw this? Oh, those are the wrong verses up there underneath. But there we go. This is, go over a couple slides. Here we go. Galatians 1. Let's see. Is that slide in there? There we go. The beginning of Galatians 1. Paul begins his whole letter. He's just talked about grace. And he, sends, he says, I'm astonished that you have so quickly deserted him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And then here we have in our passage this morning, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? There's going to, 
there's a connection between these two verses. When we preached through Galatians 1, we saw there in Galatians, I'm astonished that you were so quickly deserting. That word deserting is as you were running in one way and then you diverted off of it, right? You took a shortcut that led to a dead end, right? It didn't go anywhere, but you were on a way. This is all from, in the book of Acts, it talks about being a disciple is following the way of the Lord. You follow the way of Jesus. And here Paul is saying, you were following Jesus, and now you've been diverted from it. And then he picks up that same image here in Galatians 5, verse 7, and says, who cut, the, the word here, who hindered you, that hindered word is just who cut in, who cut your way off from following the Lord. And so you hear you have the first half of Galatians, or the, the main section of Galatians is all about who is God and what is he like. That's what we've been talking about for the last four chapters. Who is God and what's he like, and what's his gracious character like? And then here we are, we're going to pick up here in Galatians 5, and for the rest of the book, it's all going to be, how do you love each other? That sounds a lot like, love the Lord your God, and love your neighbor as, your, love your neighbor as yourself. In my reading of Galatians, it seems to me that Paul has been dividing the entire book of Galatians between these two commands. Because they've, all, all, they've been all obsessed about what's the command of the Lord, how do we obey the Lord? Do we keep our cottons and polyester separate? Do we obey the Sabbath on the seventh day of the week? How do we do all these mosaic things? And Paul says, just like Jesus, we're going to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So here we arrive at Paul's transition point, where he is saying effectively, right, while the Galatians have been bent out of shape at the, at the, about the Mosaic law, Paul sees that their hidden life has lacked the correct type of love for what God has made them for. It's the correct type of love. right? It's not that you shouldn't care about all these side issues. But are you loving the Lord, Lord correctly? Are you loving the, the Lord the way he's made you to love him? And then are you loving your neighbor the way God has made you to love your neighbor? That's kind of the hidden life. These are hidden re- realities. These are what you think about when you're driving home from church, when nobody is talking to you and you're listening to whatever music you're listening to. These are the things you're thinking about early in the morning. Do I love the Lord my God? Do I love my neighbor as myself? In an inner way, what is your inner hidden narrative about your life and who you are and God's world and his people around you? These are hidden things, just like those trees that we were just talking about, right? There are fruits and works, eventually, that work themselves out in our life, but there is something deep inside of us There is an inner life inside of us that produces those things that Paul is tapping into in these verses. Right? Paul does not say here in verse 14, do the law, but he's saying fulfill the law. There is something that happens in us that fulfills, that comes out in who we are. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. And David, uh, David McCurdy, David Hamilton, Peter, they're all going to fill this out over the next few weeks in their own various ways to the passages. But here's the main point of this morning's sermon. Fulfill the law of God through a hidden life of love. Fulfill, live out the law of God through this hidden deep part of who you are. There is something deep inside you, and we're going to break this down in very simple ways that ultimately leads to fulfilling the law of God. And that hidden part is probably the more essential part of what it means to be a Christian. It's not a to-do list. It's a being. Who are you? So, we're going to pick this up, and we're just going to talk through the, resu- the these hidden dynamics. What does it mean for these hidden dynamics to be correct, to be aligned correctly? Because Paul just started the letter out, right? Who diverted you from following the law of God? And Paul says here in verse 7, who cut in and talked, got you off of following the law of God? 
So here we are, we're going to kind of get back. What does it mean to follow the Lord correctly, to, to, to love the Lord correctly at a hidden inner level that fulfills the law of God? All right, so here we are. Verse, uh, the first part we're going to talk about, we're going to go back to the beginning of the book. We're going to talk about loving God correctly. Loving God correctly, we're going to talk about loving God correctly. Next, we're going to talk about loving yourself correctly. And then third thing is loving your community correctly. First thing, loving God correctly. Let's go all the way back here to Galatians 1. I promise we're not going to re-preach that sermon. Uh, if you're very interested, you can go back and listen to it on the website. Verse 3 of chapter 1. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father. God. We need to know who God is like and who is this God that we're loving. And Paul starts it out by saying at the very core of who he is, he is a self-giving, gracious, loving, ever-flowing fount of love. That is who God is at the very beginning of this book, right? Did you notice here we read in these verses, and I don't want us to miss this, God the Father gives the Son to rescue us. That is our God. He gives the second person of the Trinity to come and take on flesh, as we talked about in chapter 4 of Galatians, who took on flesh and was born among us and lived a perfect life. That was God's idea first. And then, not only that, the Son gives us deliverance from our sins. He gives us deliverance from this present evil age, from, the, the, from this age that, that clothes us and feels so close to us, the, the sin in our own lives, the pain and wreck of the lives around us, the experience of the ache of our culture and our world. He begins the God's renewal project, and he doesn't give it to us at a price. He gives it to us freely. This is God's new world, and the Son gives it to us because he is a self-giving God. Not only that, the Son gives it to us, and then, as we talked about later in Galatians 4, right, he gives us his spirit so that at a deep level we are now bound and tied to God himself so that we utter the words, Father, to a God who gives himself to us freely so that we are now bound into God's world. This is who he is. He is a self-giving, always generous, loving God. And then we can talk about all the other things that God gives us. But we're just highlighting the main points from, this, from the early parts of this book that before we talk about what does it mean for us to respond to God, who is this God that we are talking about? He is a gracious, giving, loving, compassionate, merciful God at the core of who he is. That is what God is. That's who he is at the core of his being. And so then we have to ask the question, how did Galatia, the church, this little church in Galatia that we now have this letter to, start with that and then end up where Paul's writing them a letter that's a little bit fiery. How did they get to where they are? Because it can happen to our church. It can happen to any church to be just like them. You guys might think that I'm like the best preacher on the planet. <laughs> Hardly the case. They had the Apostle Paul, right? I don't write scripture. The Apostle Paul did, right? <laughs> they had the best of the best of the best, so to speak. And even they got off track. So how did they get off track? I think that it started, and this is not, I, this is not entirely speculation. This is here, Galatians 5, he said, somebody came in and started talking about this stuff. They started with this grand vision of who God was and who God is. And then they had somebody that came along and said, you know what, that's great, but then what about this thing? And they started with a legitimate question. They probably, it was probably framed something like this. Okay, that's great. I'm glad that you love God. That's great. 
but how do I know that you love God? That's not a bad question. How do I know that you love... I mean, any of us would talk about that. Sometimes we'll talk about that in our small groups. How do we know that we're believers? And their response would have been something along the lines of, well, you know, if you really love God, you walk like God and talk like God, and that looks like fulfilling the Mosaic Law, and now you're all in this Bible language, and you're suddenly diverted from the primary thing being the primary thing to a side issue being the main thing, right? This is somewhat of like the way media uh, kind of runs the world in a certain sense. I'm sure you guys feel this, right? Um, 10% of the world's problems takes up 90% of the airtime. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? When the reality is that 90% of the world is not like 10% of the world and the way the media presents it, but we get all caught up about these 10% of issues that they get, that they give 90% of their time to. This is similar to what Paul is talking about here, Right? It's not that, how do we know that you love God, and what does it mean to live a life like God, uh, that reflects God, that it doesn't matter? Paul just gave four chapters of inspired scripture to answering all of these questions, right? It's not that it's not important. It's not that your questions or my questions about our life in Jesus are unimportant, right? And just to remind you, right, we print off things left and right, and then we throw those paper, that paper in the trash because paper is not that expensive. At that time, it probably would have cost upwards of a year's wages to pay for the scrolls that, go, that the book of Galatians was written on. It was highly expensive. So God is giving devoted time to these things, but it was because they had lost their focus on this gracious, self-giving God and were diverted into skirmishes on the sidelines of the of main issue being the main issue. This is what often this gets described as mission creep. Have you ever been in an organization or a business? Like, you have your mission, and then there's mission creep. It's like, well, this is a good thing, and then, oh, this is also kind of a related good thing, so let's also do that. So maybe it's provide recovery services for, for our neighborhood. Well, if you're providing recovery services for people in your neighborhood, why don't you provide job training services for your neighborhood? Because people who are early in recovery need to get job skills so they can get jobs, so they can stay in healthy places in life and stay in their recovery. Okay, that's good. Well, if you're providing job service skills, then why don't you guys look to get a credit so you can offer college credit for getting education? So you can understand, this is, I'm on the board here, so we talk about this stuff all the time, right? It's, well, those are good things, but that's not the main thing. The main thing of who God is and what his people are about is knowing this gracious, loving, self-giving God who is an ever-fountain of joy and love and mercy and compassion for you and me and for our neighborhood and for our city. This is who God is. And so we must always ask the question, are we loving God correctly with appropriate emphasis on what he says about himself or are we getting stuck in side issues? It can happen for us because it happened to Galatia. How do we love God correctly? It, this is a part of our hidden life, of your hidden life with God. I can give you guidance, but this is a part of that hidden sap of what we were talking about. There is something that must happen on the inside of your relationship with God himself where you emphasize the things that God emphasizes about himself, and you put the other issues in their appropriate place. Is your inner life with Jesus fascinated and amazed that he has so treasured and loved you and so treasured and loved the glory of God himself that he gave his life to save you from your sin, to save you for a new world that he is building? 
Does that occupy the main framework of your life with God? Or do you get diverted with whatever the theological issue is of our day, right? Whether it's the spiritual gifts or whether it's baptism or whether it's, you know, uh, elders and deacons in the church or whether it's politics or I'm just thinking of things that I've had to think about in the last few weeks. (laughs) These are just things that just come along. And they're all good things to think about, right? But do you keep the main thing? These all things, they exist so that we know who God is. Do not ever lose your wonder at these first verses in Galatians that these are amazing truths about who God is and how he has come to save you to be a part of his family. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. These are, the, are these wonderful truths of who God is, and knowing this God is how we love Him correctly. So, let's move on. I'm going to say something here that I think will probably kind of startle us a little bit, because it's not the sort of verbiage that we typically use. But we have loving God correctly as the first part of this inner life. And then we're going to talk about loving, or your, loving yourself correctly or loving ourselves correctly. Before we get into that, let me just give you an illustration of what I'm not talking about, right? Uh, about three or four years ago, um, this website dropped in, the, uh, dropped in the world. It's called imarriedme.com. It, I'm sorry. It's one of those things where you're like, I promise I'm not making this stuff up. imarriedme.com. Um, here at imarriedme.com, you can buy this uh, packet called I Married Me Self-Wedding in a Box Kit. And, just so you understand what I'm talking about, this is what they say about it. You are a reason to celebrate. A roadmap to positivity, our I Married Me kit has all you need to create your own ceremony, including a self-wedding ring, vows, and daily affirmation cards. A self-wedding is a symbolic ceremony about reconnecting and staying connected with yourself, with you. Wear the ring, I assume, to remind you every day to love yourself. Um, I read a number. I actually kind of got in about like a 30-minute kind of like research mode where I was just kind of like, how many people have done this? Well, there's a, like, you can have like an I Married Me like event Friday night party, you know, like what's all like hang out and have like hors d'oeuvres and everybody gets their own kit um, and you, you marry yourself. Uh, that's not what we're talking about. Um, that's not even close to what we're talking about. Remember, the phrase here that we're talking about is, uh, can we go to the next slide here, is loving yourself, but it's not loving yourself, period. It's loving yourself correctly. Here's why I'm bringing this up. Galatians 4, 5, 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word, and we just heard these words off the lips of Jesus. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So within Jesus' command to love your neighbor, it is predicated on loving, it is, con- it is conditional, it is uh, dependent upon knowing how to love yourself correctly, right? There's a certain sense of knowing and loving cor- yourself that is correct, and what we just talked about with imarriedme.com, incorrect. <laughs> Very much incorrect. Um, I think when I, when I said that, to, when I showed that to Peter, he was like, I want to eject out of the world now, right? You know, so there's a certain sense of like, 
That's not what we're talking about. But we have to use the phrase because it comes on the lips of Jesus himself to say, if you're going to love your neighbor, before we get to that point, you have to love yourself correctly. And that's what we're talking about here. Right? It is not just um, an aphorism of the day. It is something from Jesus himself. So what I want to do is I want to use a meditation practice on the, uh, where you meditate on the passage of the Bible. And you emphasize different parts of it to kind of see, tease out what is God talking about here. So I want to take this phrase, you shall love, I, I, I apologize for using King James language here. You shall love thyself, right? There's, you shall love yourself if that's the way you want it. You shall love yourself. I want to emphasize the last phrase on that. You shall love yourself. What does that mean when God says yourself is an object of love? Well, first of all, it means that you are a person. You are a created individual personality with value and worth. You have individuality that God has designed and created. There is, just as Mr. Rogers would talk about, nobody else in the world that's ever existed just like you. You are a person. You are a person with value and dignity. You are who you are because God has made you a person. Yourself is the object of love, which means that there is something about you that nobody else can be. But that also means that when you yourself have yourself as your object, when you're thinking about yourself, you know that deep down, nobody else can be quite acquainted with how flawed and broken and needy and dependent and broken you are. If we all were to be left alone with ourselves, while we maybe have things that we could celebrate, we would also, at the end of the day, realize, I am a person with constant needs. And those needs are constantly being satisfied by myself in ways that hurt myself. That's what we call sin. I am violating what God has made me to be so that I can be me on my own terms. There's something about us that is deeply flawed. But that's not where this command leaves us. It's not merely that you are a person and you are who you are, individuality, with all your individuality, and you are broken. Let's emphasize that third word of this phrase. You shall love yourself. You shall love. The orientation towards people, including ourselves, is love and delight and joy and attention, a giving heart for others. Since we know ourselves, it is critical to know that the original design for our personhood, what it really means to be a human, is at the core of who we are, to love. Right? There is something at the deep part of who we are. You shall love that is the orientation of, our, of what it means to be a person towards people, right, is love. You're not made for hate or belittling others, even yourself. You are made as a way of giving yourself love. So the second word of this command, you shall love yourself. You are made for love, but if God says you are made and you shall love, that is who you are, there is a command of God that at the core of who you are, you shall love other people because that is what you are made to be. You shall love yourself because you are made to love. You shall do it, and what God commands, he empowers you and enables you to do. Right? So when it says, you shall, shall answers the meaning and purpose of your life. You shall. Shall is what you shall do. It's what you are made to do. It's what the way you are made to live and be a person so that you love others, and primarily, you love yourself. And let me just contrast this with something. I recently heard somebody in my house say, I'll do this, I'll, I'll do what Dad said to do, when you do it too. 
we often think about loving other people conditional upon them doing it too. This command is addressed to each of you, to me, at the hidden part of who we are because God himself addresses us. It is not dependent upon other people doing it too. You shall obey the Lord your God. You shall love. Final word here, which emphasizes this first one. I've already alluded to it. You. This great uh, pronoun is coming on the lips of Jesus himself. It's not merely Jacob said it. Hey, you guys, I think this is a good idea. The Lord God himself, who created the world, commands you. You, addressing you personally, shall love, in this sense, thyself. Jesus says it. And we stand in his presence. This is me in the presence of God, reflecting and receiving the love and attention of God himself without merit to me, because certainly I know myself. And yet he addresses me and says, you, Jacob, you shall love the Lord your God. So let's take this and put this all together here. I realize that we've kind of been doing a little bit of a meditation practice. You shall love the Lord your God, and you shall love your neighbor, and you shall, in way uh, the way you love your neighbor... It shall be correct when you love yourself correctly. I want to point to verse 10 here in our passage as a way of illustrating what we're talking about. Because we're not just kind of like cherry-picking verses out of here. This really does, I think, pull the whole passage together. Verse 10, Paul says, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you who will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish the ones who unsettle you would emasculate themselves, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Do not only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the Lord. You shall to a church that is under his care. Um, listen, guys, here's what I am saying, here's what God is saying. And, I'm, and notice that he is not going to then go on and manipulate them and power move them into agreeing with him. He says, I trust that God's truth is sufficient to persuade you. <laughs> right? He has learned that there is a way of loving other people correctly that respects that they are people accountable to God himself. That in, in loving them correctly, it reveals that he has learned how to say, I am who I am before God, and am responsible for myself before God, and you are so likewise responsible for yourself before God, and you, I trust, because you love Jesus, will respond to God's truth correctly. Do you realize that there's an there's a open-handedness and a respect there that shows that Paul is not manipulating them? But he's also being simply uh, clear, right? So he doesn't pull his punches with these, these uh, images that he's using, Right? He doesn't pull his rhetoric and kind of like soft it. He says bluntly what he means and what he says out of respect for saying, I trust that God's going to persuade you of what he's doing here. It shows to me that there is an anxiety of manipulating others that he has long since gotten past because he has learned this gracious God who loves him, that Paul himself and that you, just like Paul, have value and that others do too. And the way you love others correctly is learning how to love yourself correctly. Again, I hope, you hear what I'm not, I hope you hear what I'm saying and not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need to be celebrated in every individual way of who you are, um, because you would certainly not say that about me, right? I have some very particular... Like, I, 
I, even by the way of having to move this podium, like you could just imagine like what a freak I am with like things have to be a very particular way. <laughs> like, it's just, those are not things that should be celebrated, <laughs> but they're just a part of who I am, and God loves me for who I am. Let me say this as an illustration of what we're talking about, and we'll move on to our last point. You guys, you guys track with me? We're cool? Okay. I used to, this, I'm going to say a word that I used to say in my sermons all the time that I don't say anymore. Um, I used to, in my sermons, use the phrase dirtbag a lot. <laughs> you remember this? <laughs> I used to use the phrase, that phrase a lot. Um, and I actually went to a pastor's assessment where they did some assessment of some of my preaching and some of my, my inner life. And their feedback was, hey, Jacob, we think that you use this phrase as a reflection of something that's wrong on the inside. <laughs> and so they were like, we would like for you to not use that phrase for the next six months and see what the Lord does through that. And I didn't. And since then, that was 18 months ago. I've since not used, uh, 18, two, mo- two years ago, maybe, um, not used that phrase in a single sermon until this very day. Because I think it reveals, within my usage of it, a way in which I viewed myself. And I've talked about this in previous sermons. I cannot tolerate who I am, and I think that I am probably the, not only the worst person that's ever existed, but I probably don't deserve to even exist. This sort of self-deprecation that is excessive, right? There's a way of saying, I'm not worthy to receive who God is and what he's given to me and all these blessings, but... There's a way of going excessively on that where you just kind of bore down and say, I am a dirtbag, and you hate yourself. That's probably where that language is coming from, and I hope by God's grace I've changed. But I think when God says to us, you shall love yourself correctly, he's he's trying to prevent us from going in that excessive direction by saying, you, in all of who you are, yes, you are broken and sinful, and you do need God's redeeming grace and love in your life, but you are a person with value and worth and dignity. And he has saved you to be a part of his family because you don't deserve it. But yet you do get it. That is the mystery of what it means to love yourself correctly. I don't deserve this, but I still get it. I don't understand this miracle of being a person. Yet here I am in the hands of my God who values me and loves me, not because of anything I bring to the table, but because of who he is. That is this inner language, this hidden life that does result in fulfilling the law of God. But it does require you at your inner being and who you are to reflect. What does it mean for me to have value and worth and yet be unworthy in the hands of my redeeming, loving God? That is something that you must do, that you must meditate on. And I cannot see that. But it is something that must happen for there to be true, life-giving fulfillment of the law of God in your life. So let's, let's close. Let's finish our, this, this passage out. But then kind of pulling this whole passage together around loving your community correctly. We're going to read through this whole passage again, and then we're going to kind of pick up some verses. I think, after having done the work that we've just done, that this passage will begin to kind of click into place for us as we process through it. So here we have loving your community correctly. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear their penalty, whoever he is. 
But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish that those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul, in telling them that they, in calling them to love their community correctly, uses some very evocative words here. <laughs> Before we get to, I know everybody's kind of like, what does verse 12 mean, right? Those would settle you would emasculate themselves. Before we get there, let me just talk about verse 7. Verse 7 is um, when he says, hindered you, those, uh, um, next, can we go to the previous slide here? Um, for you were running well, who hindered you? That word there is cut in. Those who cut in, whoever been in, you ever been in a line before? You're kind of like, you're moving your, your I'm, look, I'm doing the right thing, I'm moving along, and then somebody like somehow like weasels in front of you and kind of like, dude, you just cut in on me. Kind of that sort of language, cut in. So when Paul says, uh, who hindered you, who cut in, who stopped you from obeying the Lord and knowing his fullness and living that out with each other and welcoming these different types of people all together in one family. Somebody came in and cut that off from you. And Paul's basically saying like, well, let's just take this all the way here, right? I would rather those people who are causing you to, to divert from obeying the Lord and they're all kind of worried about this circumcision thing. I just wish they would go the whole way and the word is castrate. I wish they would just castrate themselves. Now, why does Paul talk about that? You'll notice this fruit language that he's going to, right? right? Procreation is this whole hidden thing of a baby being conceived and growing in hidden form, hidden, and then you receive a child, right? And you'll notice that he uses this language here, a little yeast leavens the whole lump. I'm sure some of you have done your, uh, you know, your pandemic sourdough bread, <laughs> How many of your, how many dead pandemic sourdough breads do we have in the graveyard at King's Cross? All right, I've got a few of them. But if you know anything about yeast, yeast gets put in the dough, and you knead it, and right, and you leave it, whatever it is. It does. There is a hidden life of yeast that then produces something after what twelve, three days? I don't know what it is. Twelve hours, three days? I don't know what it is. I, see, that's why my my yeast bed is in the graveyard. <laughs> There's a hidden reality to it, but there's something, there's, there's a rumination on who God is that they had gotten wrong, and it had produced a sort of works and fruits that God is, that Paul is saying, I wish that that would just get cut off, that the lifeline of that would just be gone. That's where Paul is, again, not pulling any, any punches in what he's saying. I wish these people disturbing your life in Christ would have their impact on you completely cut off. That's all he's saying. Because they had a version of the church, they had a version of what the community should have been that was wrong and incorrect. There was an ideal of what the church should have been like for them, which was obeying the Mosaic law, that they had then imposed on other people, and it was cutting off the lifeline for the church. We can do the same thing for each of us. It doesn't matter if it's the Mosaic Law. Hey, guys, like I think we should obey the Mosaic Law or whatever our issue of the day is. We can do the same thing. And as some of you are aware, my favorite, one of my favorite theologians, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, says this in his Life Together book, his book on what it means to be the community of Jesus. Those who love their dream of the Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself 
become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may, e may, ever, may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idolized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, by others, by ourselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. That's behind what Paul is talking about here in Galatians. They had raised up their ideal church to say, you must fulfill the Mosaic law. And they brought it into the church, and then they become the, ju the judge over both the Galatian church and God himself. And Paul has been addressing that. We do this too when we say, my ideal church must be like fill in the blank, right? The most welcoming people on the planet. They must be the most social justice-minded people on the planet. They must be the most charismatic people on the planet. They must have the certain type of leaders that are bold and without, who aren't cowards. They must have you know, women doing this, and they must be doing this with their finances, or they must be doing this with their conferences, or this with their art. We raise up these sort of idols, these ideals of what the church should be like, and then we say, this church doesn't fulfill that. They must not be true Christians. And what Paul is calling us to in Galatians 5, and what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is talking about similarly, is to say, you must, as a part of being a believer, simply accept people as they are in front of you, just as they are. Because it is more about your growth in God himself than those people getting fixed. We've never heard of a marriage where a husband or wife made their husband or wife a project to become their ideal husband and wife that ended up well, did we? <laughs> right? right. The one way to destroy a marriage is to say, I'm going to make my wife my project, and she's going to become the perfect wife because I'm so great, and my, my ideas of what she should be is so great. It's the same way for the church. This church is full of broken, imperfect people who have, do not have their act together and are just plain and simple, and some of you are brilliant. I'm not going to say who. But we are people who just don't have our act together. But these are the people that in Jesus God has called you together to love. You must accept each other only with Jesus between you and say, because Jesus has accepted me as I am, and I now, learning how to accept myself as my am in his, in his gracious hands, accept you with all your prejudices, with all your foibles, with all your sins and weaknesses. Certainly we exist together to call each other the holiness. That's not what we're talking about. Simply loving each other as you are in Jesus. Because that is about the command for being fulfilled in you. Right. When, when Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, it's not, let me love my neighbor until I get a tract in their hands or an invite to church in their hands, and then I fulfill the law of God. No, the, the, the law is focused on my internal problems. And when I love my neighbor as myself, that means I have to learn how to get over being frustrated with my neighbor. <laughs> and that's about me, not my neighbor. Right? That's not me calling the police and then get them to stop jumping on the trampoline at 1 o'clock in the morning. Because that happens, and I don't like it. But that is more about me being transformed to be like God himself, because he has loved me. These people, this church, Hope Tabernacle, number of churches here in the city, these people have a unique story to tell of the mighty works of God 
because we are His people in this place and we aren't other people. So are you committed to loving your community correctly, accepting them as they are? So here are some questions and we'll close with this. Who are the people around you? Like, think of your address, think of this church. Who are the literal people around you? What are their stories, their prejudices, their problems, their sins, their giftings, the glories? What are the ways that God has made them and what's unique about them? Those are all the ways in which you get to understand what it's like for God to love them and for God to love you. How do these areas frustrate, engage, excite you? You see, these are the hidden questions of the heart that lead to the fruits of the Spirit being harvested. This is the inner sap of the life of the Christian. To love, to love God, to love yourself as God loves you, to love others as God loves them, and to simply put the period there and trust the rest to God himself. Or, if we take everything in our own hands, we end up in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. There is a life of love that will produce the fruits of the Spirit. Or there is a life of the flesh that will produce the works of the flesh that bite and devour each other. I hope that what you're hearing in this is a call from God himself to fulfill the great commandment. And by so doing, enjoy what it means to be a renewed, redeemed person in the hands of Jesus Christ himself. So fulfill the law of God through a hidden life of love. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.